Morning. Today's passage is from Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is God's word for us. You may be seated. I know some of you uh, walked into the sanctuary this morning and you thought, man, it's kind of chilly in here, and that's for my benefit. Um, I started sweating in April, and so I appreciate you putting up with this for me. We are in uh, the, last, the last message of our Living Stone series this morning. We have been in this series since January, and we've been looking at all of the different ordinary people. And I call them ordinary people, and you're thinking, that's not right. These are the, the heroes of the Bible, right? These are the people that are significant in scripture, and they are, but they're not significant because they have superpowers. They're not significant because uh, there's something special about them. Other than that, God has chosen to use them as examples for us. And so when we talk about being living stones, we're talking about something that Peter talks about in 1 Peter, where he says, all of you, all of you who have heard Christ's call and who have answered his call, you're responding in faithfulness. All of you, like Jesus, are like stones that are being built up into a house of worship for God. And I want to use that house, God says, to bring other people to me. And so we've been going through the Old Testament, looking at men and women that God has called, that he has chosen to be a part of his spiritual house. And that includes all of you, if you've been called according to his purpose. So it's our last message in this series today. And we are going to be in the book of Joshua. This will be the last message in Joshua, and then next week Brooks is going to start preaching from the book of Judges. So we are going to continue right on into Scripture, uh, into the next book, which is Judges, and we will start that next week. But before we get into this last section of Joshua, I want to give you some context, because maybe you weren't here. The last couple of weeks we've talked about Joshua. In fact, Pastor Dave uh, Kirk a couple of weeks ago talked about the handoff that Joshua and Moses had where Joshua was being trained by Moses and Moses was commissioning him. And Pastor Dave talked about what it means, what it means to follow God's calling. And then uh, last week, Pastor Brooks talked about entering rest. He talked about how Joshua led Israel into the promised land. And that was a rest, but it wasn't the rest that God has intended for us. Today, we want to talk about Joshua, the person, the person that God called And some things that you all need to know. So Joshua is a potential leader for Israel who serves God for a lifetime before becoming Israel's designated leader. Potential leader versus designated leader. I call him a potential leader because from the very moment that Moses calls uh, all of those people together in Egypt and he says, God has called me to lead you out of here, Joshua is there. And we don't know exactly what standing he has in the community. The Bible doesn't tell us. But we do know... We do know that immediately, immediately as Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt and he leads them into the wilderness, Joshua is there as a leader. So it is likely, it's not, again, it's not in scripture, but it is likely that Joshua had some standing already in the Israelite community before they were ever led out of Egypt. 
And we know that, again, because um, Moses picks him to be a military commander. Moses accepts his service um, right away. And so we see Joshua as a potential leader right away. We also know that Joshua is from the tribe of Ephraim. Ephraim is one of Joseph's sons. And when Israel is in captivity in Egypt, Joseph is the one who's leading them. And so it's very possible, again, if you read um, in Genesis how how Joseph is blessed, it's very possible that they were looking at Joshua as, hey, maybe this is the guy who's going to lead us. He was about 35, 40 years younger than Moses. Moses, remember, is driven out of Egypt, and he goes to Midian, and he, he's a um, shepherd there for 40 years. And so Joshua's a little ways behind him. He's a little younger than him. But it's very possible that he thought of himself as a potential leader And so he aligns himself with Moses. He follows Moses. He becomes a servant to Moses. But that is where he stands for the rest of his life. So think about that. Joshua dies at 110 years old, and almost all of those 110 years are spent serving and not leading. Only at the very end of his life is he actually called to be the leader. Joshua always chooses to serve God instead of himself or other gods as Moses' servant, as a spy, as a military commander. That makes him somebody we want to pay attention to. Because not only is he a potential leader for Israel, but he's somebody who's choosing not to grab onto that leadership role and exalt himself above other people, but he's choosing instead to serve. And the scripture calls Joshua, in fact, a servant of the Lord in Joshua 24, 29. One of only a few people who are given this title. Moses is given that title. Joshua is given that title. So scripture is calling him out as somebody who chooses to serve. For those of you who are in uh, your 50s or older, you have a good idea of what it means to serve somebody for your whole life. For those of you who are in here uh, who are under 20, you can't imagine serving somebody for your whole life. You can't imagine serving your parents for the next 5 to 10 years. Right? Some of you had to come here this morning and you didn't want to come here. And you're struggling to serve your parents right now. Some of you are thinking, I have uh, four years and seven days and 36 hours until I graduate from high school, and then I won't have to serve my parents anymore. Joshua does it for almost 100 years. So he's worth looking at. I'm not saying that you will all have to serve God in that way, but he's worth looking at. He's a living stone that we ought to examine. So we'll examine him today. This is a paraphrase of what Joshua says in verses 14 and 15. He says, you should faithfully serve the God who saves you, but you're going to need to make that choice. You should, you should serve the God who saves you. That is the correct way to go. I'm telling you what's right. You should do this, but you're going to have to choose to do it. I'm going to serve him, me and my family but you all need to decide what you're going to do. That's how Joshua phrases it at the end of the whole conquest of Canaan. Israel has come into the promised land and they're taking hold of it. And they've reached a point now where there's going to be some ongoing battles, but the majority of their military activity is done. And Joshua is saying, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit down because I'm tired. It's been a long 110 years, right? I'm going to take a break. You all decide what you're going to do. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So we're going to look at what God has provided. This is what Joshua says to the people. We're going to look at what he means by that. What has God provided? We're going to talk about what it means that our response is a choice, what the consequences are, and consequences aren't necessarily negative, right? There are are positive consequences. We'll talk about that. And then we'll spend some time talking about what it means to live as a servant. And some of you are already worried because it's a four-point sermon and not a three-point sermon. It's okay. 
It's okay. You'll make it through. Pray with me as we begin. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would please help us to understand what this means to serve you. Lord, you've called us friends. Lord Jesus, you say to your disciples, I'm not calling you servants anymore because I'm telling you what I'm doing. So help us to make sense of what it means when the scripture calls us to serve you. How do we serve you and be your friend, Lord? This is hard to understand. Help us to understand it this morning. Speak through me, Holy Spirit. I pray that uh, everyone assembled here this morning would hear your voice and not mine. Ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So what does it mean that God has provided? So let's look at Joshua 24, verses 1 through 13. That is not um, our scripture text. Our text was just verses 14 and 15. But here's the setup. When Joshua calls Israel to himself and he says, the Lord has provided for you, what is he talking about? Well, here's specifically what Joshua is talking about, starting in verse 1 of 24. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, the officers. They presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, Your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor. They served other gods. And then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and I led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. I gave, uh, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave to Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt. And with that, Uh, With what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out, and then I brought your fathers out of Egypt. You came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen of the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you. I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Yor, to curse you. But I wouldn't listen to Balaam, and instead he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand, and you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Gergesites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and I gave them all into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites, It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built. And you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards and you did not plant. This is God's record of all the things that he's done for Israel. Here's how I've provided for you. I called you from a place where my name wasn't known. I gave your father, Abraham, this word about myself. And then I fulfilled that promise Many times over, I gave him children, and I gave those children a nation, and I gave that nation a land. And I've saved you along the way. Look at all the places that I've saved you along the way. Look how I rescued you from Egypt. Look how I rescued you from the wilderness. Look how I rescued you from all of the armies that wanted to destroy you. I provided for you. The inhabitants of Canaan were driven out before you. You didn't even have to come in and make this land fertile. They've already plowed it. There's already fields. There's orchards. There's vineyards. There's houses. All of this I provided for you. And the people of God's own choosing, that's you guys, have been given a home, God is saying. 
So here's how I provided for you. And Joshua is reminding the people of that. He's reminding them of that because he's going to call them to choose which God they're going to serve. Right? So he's saying, what have all the gods done for you? Well, this God has done these things for you. This is what God has provided. So your response to that is a choice. God has provided all these things. Think about all of the things that you have. You here right now in this room, you are not the Israelites. You have not been given the land of Israel. But what has God provided for you? Starting right at life, what has God provided for you? What do you have? What of it did you actually earn? All by yourself with zero help. God has provided for you day in and day out, all of your life. If you've ever held a newborn child, you know that it is a miracle that they continue to breathe every breath. Sometimes when you are a parent of a newborn, you just sit and you watch your child breathe. It's miraculous. And you don't even know how to make sense of it, that they are breathing all by themselves. And that is a gift of God. That is the provision of God. Day in and day out. And so our response to that is a choice. Joshua says, therefore, fear the Lord. You should, you should take what God has done, what he's provided, and you should fear him and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And you should put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. That's what you should do. That's the right response, he says. If you're a young person here today, by young person, you can lump in everybody under 30, really, right? People over 30. If you're a young person today, if you're in high school today, or you're not even in high school yet, God has provided for you. God has given you things already. You don't have to wait until you've wandered through the wilderness for 40 years, right? God has already provided for you. And there's an opportunity for you, just like there's an opportunity for those of you who are much older to choose. And Joshua says it this way. He says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Notice that Joshua makes an assumption here that everybody is going to worship a God. He makes the assumption that you are going to choose to serve some God. And even if it's not an active choice, it's going to be a passive choice. You're going to find that you are serving someone. And so that's the context that Joshua is in when he makes this statement, that he's assuming that all of us are going to serve some God. And he says, the real one true God has provided for you, so serve him. Look what he's done for you. Serve him. As for me and my house, we will serve him. That's my choice. What is your choice? And he says there are consequences. And the scripture tells us in many places that there are consequences for obedience and for disobedience. And I already have lost some of you because you don't like the word obey. And I don't really like the word obey either, to be honest. Right? Obedience is hard. We don't like to obey. We would much rather do it our own way, always. doesn't matter what the context is. Some of us, when we hear obey, right, we say, uh, we hear stay in line, we're immediately stepping outside of the line, right? Just because somebody told us to stay inside the line. We might even like the line, but we're going to cross it because somebody told us to stay inside of it. So this language is going to be hard for some of you, but understand who we're talking about again. 
The assumption that scripture makes is that God made the universe. He made everything and everything that is in it. And so the call to obey him is a call to obey the creator. And the call is put away other gods. Don't worship anybody but this one true God. Obey him and receive his blessing. That's a consequence of obedience. He wants to continue to provide. Understand that if you disobey, you will incur God's wrath and you will reap destruction. And you say, well, that just sounds vindictive. I don't like that God. He makes me feel bad. God created the universe in infinite wisdom. If you understand, if you accept this idea that there is a God who can create a universe, it is a God who is capable of wisdom beyond our wisdom. It's a God who's capable of love beyond our love. And he says, if you don't obey me, you will surely die. This is the consequence. This is the destruction that you will reap. Sin, which is just rejecting God. That's what sin means, right? To reject God. It means also to embrace death because that's the consequence. So this is what he's offering. He's offering a choice. He said, it doesn't sound like a choice. Death is not a choice. But we make that choice, don't we? All of us do, in small ways, every day. We choose death. We choose things that we know are not life-giving. One of the ways that I choose death every morning is that I default to reading the news instead of reading scripture. Right? That does not make life. Now, I'm not saying don't educate yourself. Absolutely educate yourself. But it's not healthy, really, to wake up first thing in the morning and start reading the news. It's destructive, in fact, right? Because these are all people who are just telling us there's stuff going on that you can't control, which I know. But instead of going to read the scripture, which tells me who is in control and tells me how I can be loved and how I am loved, I choose to focus on things I should not focus on, which leads me to death. So there are consequences for doing both. And I'm going through these things quickly because I want to spend some time in what it means to live as a servant. Because ultimately, this is where we live. So let's, let's look at the response here to what the people say. Because this is also something that we have to grapple with. The people answer Joshua. They say, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in the way that we went and, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord did drive out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who live in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Bold statement from Israel here. How does Joshua respond? Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God, and he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Don't stop there. If you stop there with that verse, all of a sudden you have a very problematic theology because all of a sudden the scripture seems to be saying that God won't forgive your sins. But that's not what that says because there's another sentence that follows, which is this. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Understand that the Lord wants you to be with him for eternity. He wants you to serve him. So when it says... He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Understand that it's if you forsake him, if you leave him, if you reject him, if you come to him, he will. If you come to the Lord and you say, please forgive me, he will. Always. 
That's why Jesus died on the cross, so that we can always be forgiven of our sins. So don't misread this. But Joshua is telling Israel, he's telling Israel, be careful what you say. Don't, don't tell me that you're going to serve God and then not do it. Because if you tell God that you're going to serve him and then don't do it, that's a problem. There are consequences. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. The people said to Joshua, no, we'll serve the Lord. And then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you, that you have chosen the Lord. And they said, we are, we're witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua makes a covenant with the people. They set up a stone and they say, this stone is going to be a reminder to us, to all of us, that we have committed to serve the Lord. That we're going to get rid of foreign gods, that we're going to choose to serve God. When God says, choose this day, I'm sorry, when Joshua says, through God, choose this day whom you will serve, the Israelites say, we chose God. And so he says, all right, here's the stone. It's a reminder to you that you chose God. That's the context that Joshua says this in. That's the historical place and time that Joshua says this in. Joshua is a person who I mentioned to you who is patient for almost 100 years before he gets to use his time and his talent in the way that he thinks, right? He, the way that he thinks it ought to be used. Most likely, we don't, we don't know his thoughts. But again, it's very clear from scripture that he was chosen early, that he began to follow Moses and serve Moses early. He was a military commander, young, and then he continued to labor as the second or as even the third person in command for years and years and years. So Joshua says this, and this is the choice before Israel, but understand he's not saying this as someone who has not made this choice himself. He has made this choice himself. He has done this for years. For a hundred years of patience, we see Joshua serving out, just outside of the limelight, just outside of leadership, just on the edge. He's the person who goes and he sits outside of Moses' tent. He's the person who walks up the mountain behind Moses, right, or in front of Moses to, to clear the path for him. But he is not, in fact, the person that Israel is following for almost all of his life. It's only at the very end that Joshua is actually the leader. And so Joshua shows us that giving our time and our talent looks like patiently patiently, patiently serving the Lord. It doesn't look like, hey, I woke up this morning and God called me to this position of prominence and all of a sudden I get to be the guy on display and everybody looks at me and I get to lead and I get all the authority and I get all the accolades. That's not what it looks like to serve God with your time and your talent. It looks like patiently doing whatever God calls you to do. And for most of us, that will mean that nobody knows who we are which is like an aberration in American society, right? In our society, value is attributed to fame and recognition. And most of you probably think, I don't want to be famous. I've seen famous people. They're a mess, right? And that's a wise response. Continue with that response. And yet, and yet, we wouldn't mind if people knew who we were. We wouldn't mind if, you know, people told good stories about us. Wouldn't mind if there was maybe a statue to us in our small town. Right? We wouldn't mind if people knew who we were and what we did and if we received a little praise along the way. But when God calls us like he called Joshua to give him our time, 
our talent, whatever it is he's gifted us with, most often it looks like what it looked like for Joshua, where nobody really knows. We're on the side. We might get mentioned, but we're always getting mentioned with other people. That's common. This is stewardship. You may have come to church before and heard that word stewardship. A steward is somebody who is not an owner, but they are managing the owner's goods. A steward is somebody who is not the king, but they are overseeing the kingdom while the king is not around. And so this is stewardship. Joshua is only called to be the effective leader for a very short period of time in his life, but for the rest of his life, his time and his talent and all that he has is given to the Lord where he's just being faithful. He's just using those gifts to glorify God in whatever way God calls him. And sometimes that looks like a military commander. And sometimes that looks like serving, uh, literally carrying things for Moses. And sometimes that looks like going into the land as a spy and just bringing back a faithful report and standing by that faithful report. Standing by his uh, determination to follow God, even when all the people around him are not following God or choosing to fear, right? It looks lots of different ways, but Joshua is just a steward. You're in and you're out. God, whatever you've given me, I'm going to give back to you. When he says to Israel at the end of his life, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. What he's actually saying is, as for me and my house, we're going to continue to serve the Lord because that's what he's been doing. That's what his life demonstrates. Uh, If you read in the book of Joshua, at the very beginning of the book, Joshua takes Israel across the Jordan, and they have not yet come to Jericho, but they're approaching Jericho. And Joshua sees somebody outside the camp, and he recognizes there's something special about this person. In fact, there's something heavenly and something powerful about this person. Scripture describes this person as uh, the commander, the commander of the armies of the Lord. So Joshua approaches this person. And now Joshua has been called to be the leader, right? This is the time, the very few years in Joshua's life where he has actually been recognized as the designated leader for Israel. And so if at any time he's thought, okay, God is wanting me to stand up and do something, now is the time. And now he sees the commander of the army of the Lord and he goes to that person and he says, are you for us or are for our enemies? And the commander of the army of the Lord, of the armies of the Lord, he says, no. What kind of answer is that? No. Are you for us or for our enemies? No. Well, that's not helpful. Why are you here? He says, I am for the Lord. And he reminds Joshua yet again, even when Joshua is called to lead, he reminds him yet again that your goal here, your objective here, is not to be first, but to serve. To serve the Lord with your time and your talent. And so Joshua's amazing first military victory, as you all know, as designated leader, is to what? Is to march around Jericho, right? Well, it falls. Brilliant strategy. Right? Lots of fame for Joshua there. You marched in circles. You blew trumpets. No fame for Joshua there. The Lord accomplished this. Joshua was faithful. Immediately following that, Joshua and all of Israel has an opportunity to trust the Lord, to trust the Lord for material things. You have perhaps read about this in scripture where they attack Jericho and they're told, do not keep, do not keep the gold and silver and the precious things for yourself. Give those to the Lord. Let God use those. And a family, uh, a a man 
by the name of Achan takes some of those things, just a little bit of silver and a bar of gold, and he hides them in his tent. And as a result, his whole family is judged. But God is very clearly telling Israel, and he's telling Joshua, listen, this is not about securing material wealth for yourself. This is not about you making sure that you can take care of yourself with physical resources. I don't want you to think that way, so much so, so much so that I'm going to punish this individual with death to show you that this is not the right approach. I am giving you the land. I am giving you the vineyards. I am giving you everything you need to survive. You do not need to hoard or help yourself. God helps those who help themselves is bad theology, folks. It's also not what scripture teaches in any way. Does God want you to be a good steward of the things that he's given you? Absolutely. But sometimes he only gives you a very little. And that doesn't mean he hasn't blessed you. It does mean, does mean that he only thinks that you can be trusted with a very little. But he also says that if you are faithful with a little, then you will be given more to be faithful with. And sometimes more looks like actual more dollars, and sometimes it looks like more children. And sometimes it looks like more influence at work. And sometimes it looks like having people at church that listen to what you say. And that is a crazy precious resource that you have to be careful with if people are going to listen to what you say. So do not, do not take your treasure and hoard it, Joshua has learned. This is how he's living as a servant. But trust God with it. You know how hard it would have been for Israel to let all of that go? They have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and now God brings them into the promised land, and now they've ransacked the city and they've destroyed it. And here is all of this precious stuff. They have run out of precious stuff, right, over the course of 40 years. They do not have a good supply of precious stuff anymore, and here it is for the taking. And God is saying, trust me to provide for you. Do not hoard this stuff for yourself. That is hard for us. That is hard for us when we get our paycheck, and it's hard for us when we're thinking about the things that we want or things we need for our home. It's hard to trust the Lord with those things. In my own life, in my daily practice, it's hard for me to remember, oh, that's right, God has provided all of these things, and they're his, and I should be giving them back to him. Right? When I'm driving down the road and I'm hungry, and I'm thinking about stopping somewhere to get food, I'm not usually thinking about, God, will you please provide food at the right time in the right way? I'm usually thinking about where can I find myself something to eat? Right? When we get a check and we look at it and we think, I've got this much money, I have all of these needs, we're not thinking God provided the money. He can provide the best use for it. We're thinking, okay, now I just have to make sure that I spend it on the right things or I have to get the stuff that I want. Joshua has been taught, we are taught throughout Scripture multiple times, that the God who provided for us will continue to provide if we trust him. All of you trust God to keep you breathing, right? Anybody trying to keep themselves breathing right now? Don't think about it too hard. It messes the whole process up. (laughs) Anybody confident that they are keeping themselves breathing? No. Anybody confident that they can make life when a sperm and an egg cell come together? We don't even know why they sometimes make life and sometimes they don't. We can't do that. But we do think we know better than God when it comes to money. We do think we have that figured out. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I can't give him a portion of what I've earned because I need all of it this month. 
And don't hear me say you need to give more to Grace Community Church specifically because that's the right Christian thing to do. No, never. Of course, if you're a member here, we want you to support this ministry because we want to continue to share the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But don't hear me say that unless you give to our church, you're not a good Christian. No, but God gave you everything. How are you giving it back to him? How are you faithful with that? Or are you not? Are you trusting yourself over and above God? Joshua learns. Israel learns. You need to trust God with what he's giving you. It's not just about giving some of your treasure. It's about trusting him with all that he has given you. And ultimately, this means our total devotion. God's story, not ours. Just like I've talked about with Joshua, the same is true for us. All of you who are young, all of you who are looking down uh, the long road of life and you're thinking, there are so many things I want to do and so many things I want to be known for, so many things I want to accomplish. Do that. Go. Accomplish things. But understand that if it's your story and not God's story, there are consequences for that. And if it's God's story and not your story, there are consequences for that. If you choose this day whom you will serve and you choose to serve the Lord, there are eternal, glorious consequences for that. And if you choose this day whom you will serve and it's yourself, there's death. This is what scripture tells us. This is what we're faced with. So I said that all of this series, this Living Stone series, comes from 1 Peter. And if you read 1 Peter chapter 2, it's a great encouragement. He says, you weren't a people before, you weren't a nation, but I'm calling you to be a people, a holy nation, set apart. I want you all who have heard about Jesus' gospel, I want all of you to be built up into this house, this spiritual house where people come and learn about God. And they come and worship him, they give their lives to him. Peter like Joshua, says, look, God has provided for you. Choose to serve him. Enjoy the consequences of obedience. Live as a servant and accept the friendship of God. I prayed this morning that we would be able to discern why is it, why is it that when Jesus calls us his friend, we're going to look at that verse. If you have a, if a Bible, turn to John chapter 15 there. Why is it that if Jesus calls us his friend, we're still talking about service? Why are we still talking about service? Turn to John chapter 15. Let's read that a minute. Because Jesus does say this. It's very clear. John chapter 15, starting in, uh, let's see here, where do I have you starting? Starting in verse 14. I'm going to start back at verse 12. I got it wrong. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. There's another complication there if you caught it. Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You say, well, why do we even have this message? Choose this day whom you will serve. God chooses us or, or he doesn't, right? It's on him. This is the good news. If you hear his voice, if you hear him calling you today, if you hear this word today that I can choose, then God is calling you. 
then you can choose. He is calling you to love him and to serve him. And why serve him? He's our friend. He says he's our friend. Why serve him? Because he says, did you catch it in verse 13? He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Because that's what a friend does, is they serve their friends. Jesus shows us this with his own life. I am going to serve you the best way I know how, Jesus says. And he knows the best way because he is God. He says, I will serve you the best way I know how, which is to lay down my life for you. I'm going to serve you that way. Will you serve me that way? Will you lay down your life for me, Jesus says? Will you accept my story and not yours? Will you allow me to be God and accept that you're not? Will you choose to serve me this day? James is clear. I'm not going to turn there, but James 4 says that friendship with the world is, is enmity. It's making God an enemy. Like that's, that's the consequences again, right? We, there are consequences for both choices. And so friendship with God is a choice. It is responding. It is responding in the same way that Jesus served us. We're going to serve him. We're going to live for him. But the benefits are so much better than we imagine. When we give God our time and our talent and our patience for a hundred years, the benefits are better than we imagine. When we take our finances and we say, God, you have gifted me with all of these things and I'm going to give some to the church and I'm going to give some to missions agencies and I'm going to give some to people who just need help because they need help. I'm going to be a good steward of this money. You do those things for people, I'm going to do those things for people. Then God blesses you more than you could imagine. Your time, your talent, your treasure, all of those things, when you give them back to the Lord and you make his story your story, and you're not content, you're not content to have a statue set up to you, but instead you point everybody to God, right? Then he calls you his servant in the same way that he called Joshua his servant. He calls you his friend in the same way that Jesus calls us friend. So this is the end of the Living Stones series. This is not the end of what it means to be a follower of Jesus because there's a lot more Bible. We're going to keep teaching, but we're going to go into Judges and we're going to talk in Judges about what happens when everybody not only doesn't choose God, but they choose what is right in their own eyes. Can you imagine a world where people choose to do what's right in their own eyes? Use your imaginations. You're laughing because... You live in that world. We are surrounded by people. We are people who choose to do what's right in our own eyes. Praise the Lord that Jesus is a person who lays down his life for us and shows us what it means to let God receive the glory. And he provides for us. Do you remember that's where we started? God provides for Israel and God provides for us. He has provided for us more than he has provided for Israel. Remember what Pastor Brooks said last week. The rest that they received going into the promised land was not the best rest. The rest that we receive when we lay ourselves at the feet of Jesus and we are embraced by him and he carries us into eternity, that is the best rest. And you know, you know that this is strange. This is weird. People will look at you funny when you tell them, I'm going to live forever, if you tell them that. But it's true. It's what the scripture says God does for us. He wants for us. So understand this this morning. 
what it means to be a servant, a friend of Jesus, it's better. It's better than what you would do for yourself. It's better than what anyone would choose for themselves. When we look at judges and we, we go into that, right? And it, it gets awful, folks, right? Content advisory. Judges describe some terrible things that people do when they are doing what is right in their own eyes. It's hard. Know that God has chosen something better for you when you choose him. It is everlasting life. It is peace. It is joy. It is an end of death. It is an end of fear. Amen? Try again. You can do better. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Holy God, we praise you that you have chosen us, that this morning, if we have heard this word, that you are calling us, that you laid down your life for us, and that because you did that, we can have everlasting life with you, Lord. That is the gospel, and we thank you for it, because we don't choose you. We choose ourselves over and over again. We honor ourselves with our time. We honor ourselves with our treasure. Lord, we confess that to you. Please forgive us. Lord, help us to love other people the way you love them, the way you lay down your life for them. I pray that we would do the same, that we would be content to receive zero glory and all of your good. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.